0: Hey, it's Christine. I just wanted to say that this recording happened before the murder of George Floyd, so you won't hear any reference to it or to the Black Lives Matter movement in this episode. But we have updated our social media profiles with links to resources for you to get involved or donate, including a link to a list of Black theaters that you can also support during this pandemic. Also, Somewhat related to this episode where we are doing our own take on the Tonys, Broadway Black has started their first inaugural Antonio Awards, where they want to honor Black theater makers both on and off Broadway, and they've just released their list of nominees. The ceremony will be streaming on YouTube next Friday, June 19th, and there will be a link in our show notes to also let you know more information about that. Otherwise, just keep the discussions going online, in person, wherever. And whether or not you're protesting, stay safe out there. During our recording for Frankie and Johnny, the reason why I kept referring to them as Michael Shannon and Audrey McDonald was because I like did not remember what the main characters' names were. And I was like, oh shit, I should have looked this up before I started talking. And then halfway through, I remembered that they were in the title, and I
1: just felt really dumb. <laughs> so... <laughs> hello and welcome to bottomless broadway where we talk musicals over mimosas it's tony season and we're all going to miss out on the most anticipated fucking award show of the year for theater fans and since it's being replaced by a very hated greece sing-along which i did not realize there was so much hatred in the world for greece (laughs) we bring to you Our rendition of the Tony Awards, where we only include the musicals and plays that Christine and I actually watched this season. Um, We're including like on and off-Broadway, just to buff up the categories a little bit, since um, we didn't get to see a lot of the on-Broadway shows before they closed, since like a lot barely started previews or didn't start previews. So um, our categories are a little bit all over the place. So we're basically the drama desks. (laughs) Yep. And slash only stuff we watch. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so to start, I'll just read all the musicals that we considered and then all the plays that we considered for our nominations. And then we'll start from the boringest category and <laughs> move up. <laughs> okay, so for musicals, we considered Bad Out of Hell, Diana, Emojiland, Jagged Little Pill, The Lightning Thief*, Moulin Rouge, Scotland Fierce, Six, Soft Power, Company, Evita, Little Shop of Horrors, Roadshow, Rock of Ages, We Will Rock You, and West Side Story. And then for play, we considered A Christmas Carol, The Inheritance, The Minutes, Seawall Life, Slave Play, Betrayal, Frankie and Johnny and the Clair de Lune, Judgment Day, The sound inside. So
0: to pull back the curtain a bit on our process, we made a list of all the shows that both of us had seen on and off Broadway during this past season after the 2019 Tony Awards occurred. And we pulled out prospective nominees for each category using the Tony categories. And we each allowed ourselves up to four picks per category. If you want to follow along with the nominees... We have a picture of all of them on our Instagram account, or there will also be a Google Docs link in our show notes, so you can go head on over there. So we'll start with the um, technical categories. So the first one up is sound design, which, to be fair, we don't know much about, and we're just doing it from what we perceived. So we have Best Sound Design of a Play, and our nominees are Simon Baker for A Christmas Carol, Paul Arditi and Christopher Reed for The Inheritance, Daniel Klugler and Drew Levy for Judgment Day, Daniel Kluger for Seawall Alive, and Lindsay Jones for Slave Play.
1: I would get so mad that like Vans Visit sweet and Town sweet And I was like, that's some bullshit. These people need to know what they're doing. But when we were coming up with these nominations, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I like <laughs> The Inheritance. So that must have meant that I've I heard everything.
0: I do want to call out Judgment Day. Judgment Day is like a play about a station master at like this train station in a tiny town. And like an accident happens and basically it's morality play. But when the train goes by, like the sound effects and the lights for that are super cool that it makes you feel like you're actually just standing next to a train or
1: something. Not to mention that it's set in like an airplane hangar.
0: Yeah. That place is huge. The Park Avenue Armory was wild. I don't know. I think maybe like the best one, technically speaking, is Judgment Day. But I did also really like A Christmas Carol because they do have like this sort of choir of singers that will come on and off. And they also play their own instruments. Moving on to the musical version, we have Ian Dixon, an autograph for Company, Kai Harada for Evita, Jonathan Deans for Jagged Little Pill, and Paul Gatehouse for
1: Six. Six, I feel like I actually like noticed things in the lyrics that I didn't notice in the um, yeah. soundtrack, which I really liked.
0: Considering that it's done as like a concert setting, so it's supposed to be loud and feel like you're at like a rave or like a concert or anything. It was. I was really surprised at how clearly I could hear every word they were saying.
1: And then um, Evita, I think is impressive because the high notes in there are crazy. And I didn't feel like they were like screechy or anything. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And company, the sound really captured the emotion in the actors' Mm -hmm. voices that I don't really get from any of the recordings.
0: Yeah, that's true. And we should say that the production of Evita we saw was the gala production at City Center.
1: So I think my pick would be company. We also didn't sit together. I sat like Mm -hmm. pretty far side orchestra and I feel like we heard just as well
0: yeah which is you know not always true um i would probably pick six just because again with that like being able to emulate that concert setting while also still having like crystal clear lyrics i thought was impressive when
1: they sing six and like all six of the queens harmonize and you can hear everyone like just the right amount that's like so satisfying (laughs) yeah
0: was mixed really well too between like the six different mics
1: next category we have lighting so we're going to start with lighting design of a play um john clark for betrayal hugh vanstone for a christmas carol natasha Katz for frankie and johnny in the creteloon john clark for the inheritance again wow and then mimi jordan sharon for judgment day
0: I kind of mentioned Judgment Day earlier um, with the sound, and I think the sound and the lighting just worked really well together also, again, with that sensation of the train passing by you. I, like, swear to God, I could almost feel the wind of the train just from sound and lighting effects. Um, And also just being able to light the correct spots on this, like, freaking convention center-sized place, like... It's super tall ceiling, so it's not like the lights are like a stage height. It's like double that, if not more. And then in A Christmas Carol, like this probably borders between lighting and set, but the like lanterns play a huge role in just sort of the overall ambiance of the piece. And they have like lanterns of all sizes. If you've seen our pictures of the set, Like, the lanterns are just strung up all across the ceiling into the audience.
1: Christmas Carol, I mean, first of all, it's, like, I'm pretty hands down for Christmas Carol because those bespoke lanterns rock my world. They turn me into a Pinterest bitch. (laughs) They did a really good job with um, lighting, like, present-day awake life versus, like, dream, nightmare life. They use, like, mm-hmm. I feel like completely different, like, warm, cool color palettes.
0: I agree. Um, I just want to mention Frankie and Johnny again. I did mention it in the episode about how in the opening scene where they're basically just having sex on the bed, I was super impressed at how the lighting, like, shifted and changed a little bit, just so you saw nothing incriminating. I was like,
1: wow, that was really well done. So I guess were agreed on Christmas Carol. Mm -hmm. And then moving on to Best Lighting Design of a Musical, we have Neil Austin for Company, Jamie Roddick for Emojiland, Justin Townsend for Moulin Rouge, Mark Barton for Roadshow, and Tim Daling for Six. Yeah, so I guess
0: both Emojiland and Six have kind of, and even Moulin Rouge, I would say have kind of similar lighting. Where they all have these little, like, techno section. Yeah, I don't actually know which one I would pick out of those. Um,
1: I wouldn't say I'm particularly impressed with any of these. Compared to last year, especially with, like, Beetlejuice and Mm Town. These all seem a little weak to me. I actually remember sitting in the first row for six and getting, like, physically blinded. Like, Alice and I had to, like, look away from the stage.
0: (laughs) Um, I mean, I guess, like, out of the three that I mentioned, Moulin Rouge probably has the artsiest lighting. I think I'd agree that Moulin Rouge is the
1: mm-hmm. most interesting here.
0: Another category that I feel like we kind of struggled with was costume design. Um, mm-hmm. So starting with the plays, we have Rob Howell for A Christmas Carol, Bob Crowley for The Inheritance, Didi Ayite for Slave Play. I thought Slave Play was cool because they had to basically do
1: two different eras I didn't actually feel like the plantation costumes were realistic but that didn't bother me like it I feel like a lot of it looked like outfits from a dress-up wardrobe but that also made sense yeah a Christmas Carol to me was the most costumed as in it diverged the most from what I'm wearing right now (laughs) Um, which is why I nominated
0: it. I I put in inheritance because I do think that um even though the clothes are like really modern because it is set in essentially like twenty sixteen and onward, um, I think the clothes did kind of give each person a sense of identity. Like even though Walter Poole is still nicely dressed, he's like a little more casual because he's like more down to earth. So I do think that there was A little bit of distinction in the characters, but it's always hard to tell with, like, modern clothing because you're like, yeah, that seems like something that you would see and, like, wear on the street. Overall,
1: Christmas Carol? That's what I'm going to go with, but, like, I'm not proud of it. (laughs) Like, I wouldn't defend it against anyone that disagreed. (laughs) So, no, you're right.
0: (laughs) The musical version is a little more interesting. And we have William Ivey Long for Diana. Alejo Vietti for Evita, Catherine Zuber for Moulin Rouge, Gabriela Slade for Six, and Anita Yavich for Soft Power.
1: Okay, listen, I only nominated Diana because I was giving them the benefit of the doubt that hopefully throughout previews, they figured out their shit and actually got like Diana's historic, mm-hmm. beautiful dresses to fit on the actress, which they didn't when we saw it on the first day of right. previews. And Six, like, how can you say no to rhinestone tights? Yeah. <laughs> and like, and I didn't even
0: notice this when I saw it, but you did, that each of their shoes were like also color coordinated with like the, um like gemstones on their shoes and like all of that. I've read a little bit about Six's costume design, and they do have things that are like a little bit historically accurate, like Catherine of Aragon's sort of like crown thing was similar to what beyonce would wear and she's based off of her anne boleyn and Catherine howard both have chokers because they got beheaded i really like Evita's costumes because it's just the way that they used her don't cry for me argentina dress like it's the first thing you see when you go in and it's like one of the last like really striking images that you see and the like what they do with it in the end and, like, how they sort of, like, tear down this image of, like, Evita as a as a queen, essentially, and, like, bring it back to, like, her as a young street girl is, like, really cool.
1: That perfect white dress is made of, like, paper mache because they tear it up and it's paper mache And we're like, how the fuck is that possible? First of all, they remake that every single night. <laughs> yeah. And second of all, you would have never guessed it looks like chiffon. Like, it's mm-hmm. a stunning dress. I think it's a single most impressive, like, one-piece costume out of all the shows you nominated to me. Moulin Rouge could have topped it if they won with movie costumes, but they did not indicate movie costumes and they missed the red dress. So even though there were a lot of pretty costumes, on principle, I will not vote for Moulin Rouge.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and then I also nominated Soft Power. The whole ensemble is Asian, but they're doing, like, a reverse yellow face where they're all playing white people. So they all have, like, blonde wigs and, like, really sort of, like, redneck costuming just to, like, overly show how, like, quote-unquote Western and Democratic they are. So I thought that was well done. But I do think Six probably takes the cake here.
1: I might go with Evita. I think, um, just like, the fact that they hung that dress (laughs) above the stage as you walked in, Mm -hmm. into that, like, backdrop of flowers, so
0: perfect. I do agree that In 6, the costumes really, like, lended more weight to the concept of the show, whereas in Evita, the costumes almost added another layer to the show because, like, the kinds of costumes that Ava wears through her journey are really indicative of, like, who she is and, like, who she wants to be perceived as. The the costume that she sings New Argentina in and stuff is, like, gorgeous. Even in the beginning, when they're singing um, the lament for Evita and she comes out in this slip and she's wearing like nothing else and she's like, what's going on here? I think it was really effective in portraying her her journey. So I guess maybe I do agree with you.
1: No, don't cry Our next category, getting into the exciting stuff, aka stuff we actually have opinions on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Best Scenic Design of a Play, we nominated Bob Howell for A Christmas Carol, Bob Crowley for The Inheritance, Laura Jelenic for *See of Life, and Clint Ramos for Slave Play. It's gonna be A Christmas Carol.
0: <laughs> like, I'm just gonna say that now. We can still talk about the others, but it's gotta be A Christmas Carol.
1: The doors, the treasure chests, but like I mean, if you factor in the lanterns as, like, part of scenic design, that's, like, over.
0: Slave play. Even just, like, using the, like, mezzanine as a, as a, a projection was super cool.
1: I feel like I've almost... I almost just got convinced
0: to go to slave play. <laughs> and then Inheritance had, like, a deceptively simple set. Like... It looked like kind of a chill, let's all sit around this slightly raised stage kind of thing. But then they kept pulling props out from like under this raised stage. And I was like, how much what is under there? Like first of all, how did you not lose anything under there?
1: Inheritance is such like an efficient, well utilized set because their only piece is just the raised platform. And they have props, but not like major props, like cups, books, a chair. Yeah. You know? Um but, like, it works so well. The the play starts with, um like, a bunch of young adults in modern time in, like, a writer's group, and then one of the characters starts writing, and then he'll have his friends jump onto the elevated stage to, like, act out the book he's writing. And so, like, the lower level is, like, actuality, and then the raised platform is his book also i don't know how like all the wine glasses that they stuck under the stage didn't crack when they then they inverted it yeah they lowered the platform into the stage so that it was like a hole and i was like where all the props go yeah
0: i was wondering about that too i was like what like i didn't think it could move just because they had props on there i think i would still go with the christmas carol um, just because of how elaborate it is, I guess, I think slave play does innovate more. But um, like A Christmas mm-hmm. Carol, when we first walked in, we were like, wow, this is a gorgeous set. And then that was before we even saw like how they would just like pull boxes out of the stage to like form other props and like the doorways. It created this really sort of like imaginative
1: world. It was, I think it was like decisively intricate in some areas and minimalistic in others. We're not going to build these rooms, but we will build 60 platters of food perfectly. Yeah. I'm, like, so on the fence. Like, every time you say something, I am I get convinced to switch <laughs> my vote. Um, but, you know, like, ending with that, I agree with Christmas Carol, but, like, big shout-out to Slave Play. So, moving on to best scenic design of a musical. We have Bunny Christie for Company. David Zinn for Diana. David Goldstein and Lisa Rinkle for Emojiland, Derek McLean for Moulin Rouge, and Anna Louise's for Scotland PA.
0: I think I said this in the company podcast, but I, I was like, I'm so sad that company is in the same season as Moulin Rouge because their set is so good. So, to kind of vary the lead, I think I I would go company.
1: I like was very impressed by company set as well, um, but I think, like, they did have some ups and downs.
0: I actually did have a tough choice with my, um, like, fourth choice for set. But then I ended up going with Scotland, PA. Basically, Macbeth retold through um, fast food chains. And it turns into McDonald's. And you come back after intermission. And everything is just suddenly, like, golden arches and, like, red backgrounds. And I was like, where did this come from? And also, they transformed the lobby, too. So, like, you would go out during intermission and there would be like the same insignia everywhere in the lobby and like they would also like serve fries and you could buy fries
1: i thought those fries were free they said at some point where they were like we're serving fries in the lobby oh yeah and i was like oh my god this is awesome it's like oklahoma but a better show
0: <laughs> um but i think Land was also like really cool and like in kind of a low-key way, because it just had so many surprises hidden in the set. there's like a slide hidden on the side, and they have these little like displays that will display like really funny like news broadcast kind of things, like oh my God, that was so funny.
1: Each emoji is suing tongue emoji for like sexual harassment. Yeah. the set of emoji land actually reminds me of ink from last year a lot, mm-hmm. which I think is honestly my favorite set design. Um, for 2019, I think Ferryman won, but like I don't give yeah. a fuck about that set. So it's the same kind of like a bunch of shit piled on top of another, and there's like a lot of walkways through places that you don't expect mm-hmm. there to be walkways. Um, and also, I complain a lot about like full backdrop projections, like. And Anastasia, like, whoa, okay, pretty trees, but, like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, And I've been a lot about, like, that doesn't replace a real set. But, like, with this one, because the story takes place inside a phone, it makes so much sense.
0: Yeah. And also, just, like, because set does include props, they had, like, really... Fun and cool props, and they were all basically just emojis, like printed out on cardboard. Like police officer and construction worker would get breakfast together, and one would have a donut emoji, and one would have like a coffee cup emoji.
1: I have to go with Moulin Rouge. While they did a poor job recreating costumes, they did a perfect job recreating set. Like they had the fucking elephant, they had the Eiffel Tower, they had the sparkling diamond sex wing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they had the longest fainting couch in the world. We were in the mezzanine and our walls were covered with red velvet. Like it is like a grotesque vomit of cash throughout the entire theater, but like I appreciate the effort. Yeah. I
0: think I do still like company better just because they like used the set. Like the set actually helped. With the story they were trying to tell and help like navigate between scenes and all of that. When where Moulin Rouge was like, here's the set. Now we're gonna do a like a show on top of it. For the most, part. yeah.
1: I'm I'm glad that we're split because like this category, I feel like the Tonys would probably have given it to Moulin Rouge, and I feel like yeah. when they gave it to Moulin Rouge, I would be mad for Company. But <laughs> if they gave it to Company, I would be mad for Moulin Rouge. So like, I'm very happy that we're split on this. Yeah, so we'll we'll give it a
0: tie. <laughs> So best orchestrations, we have Christopher Nightingale for A Christmas Carol, David Cullen for Company, Tom Kitt for Jagged Little Pill, Justin Levine for Moulin Rouge, and Tom Curran for Six. Like some years you can say like, oh yeah, that had really cool orchestration. I still think that Great Comet was robbed for orchestrations. But like, I think the most interesting ones this year are Moulin Rouge because it was a like exercise in... Extravagance, but
1: mashups?
0: Yeah, but like all the mashups like technically worked.
1: Thirty percent of the mashups were like, Oh, that's okay. And then like thirty percent of the mashups were from the original movie. And then the other forty percent were like, This is absolute bullshit. Did you seriously just mix like a Rolling Stones song with Katy Perry? What the fuck just happened?
0: there was um natalie walker did this joke where i think i told you this where she's like my new favorite game is just to ask people like which song is not a moulin rouge and that kind of is moulin rouge in a nutshell
1: they could have made a better show spending a lot less money on copyright (laughs) yeah, and just like working harder on these mashups Mm -hmm. um six i think is pretty cool because um just because the six queens all have very different music that I feel like required different orchestration that were reminiscent of the pop singers that they were based off.
0: Yeah. And I think especially in the final number in six, when it's like basically an almost an acoustic version of their earlier songs, because that's when they're like, oh, we're gonna not be part of like King Henry's story. Like what if we had our own lives? And i remember hearing that before i saw the show and it's like a ukulele in the beginning and i was like this does not seem right at all but it makes total sense in the show because it's like if this like electronic and like heavy concert like kind of style is what they are when they're like angry at henry and like talking about how shitty their lives were then like it makes sense that they would want to like start over and be like let's go like acoustic I do want to call out company also, because if you listen to the original Broadway cast recording of Company, it is so set in the seventies. Like synthesizers everywhere. It's like you hear that and you're like, oh, we're not in this century. But they did
1: update it really well. Oh yeah. Company's my pick because um Mega Six was such an orchestration cop out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm like really angry about that.
0: I'd agree. I don't think any of these really like blew my mind. So I think Company is the one that like utilizes it the best. But then to move on to choreography, we have Liam Steele for Company, Sonia Taye for Moulin Rouge, Carrie Ann Ingrail for Six, Sam Pingleton for Soft Power, and Teresa de Kiersmacher for West Side Story. But I do think Soft Power does do a really good job of like, um, it is like a satire show, and it does reference a lot of other classic Broadway musicals, and that does show up in the choreography. Sam Pinkleton did a pretty good job of like making just enough references to classic choreography while also blending a bunch of different styles together. It's funny because at the beginning of the season, I would have told you I think Moulin Rouge would probably take the choreography award. I mean, I don't necessarily know that Like, besides the opening number and like, uh, backstage romance. I feel like there isn't as much going on in Moulin Rouge, and I just really liked what they did with West Side Story.
1: I think West Side Story is the clear winner for Moulin Rouge. I think it just it looked like so polished. Mm-hmm. All of the um, burlesque dances were like really in sync, yeah. um, and also just because like Karen Olivo dances a ridiculous amount for <laughs> someone that's also like lead singing. So I think because of that, we thought the dancing was really impressive. For Six, I nominated it just because of Get Down. Oh, yeah. That song is one of the top reasons that makes the show worth seeing beyond the recording. Mm -hmm. I'd agree. I
0: think Six, because, you know, everyone's basically seen that clip of them at the Olivier's. And that was kind of what helped drum up all that anticipation. And that was definitely what introduced me to it. And seeing it from the Olivier's, I thought the choreography was really good. And I was expecting, I think I was expecting more than what we got. But yeah, I think West Side Story has just changed the show so much. Because they look
1: like they were fighting. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to see Seth Jeske do an analysis <laughs> of um, ex-wives. Mm. Because I watched plenty of... Tony and Olivier performances. And usually I'm like, yeah, whatever. And I feel like me and the rest of the world were like, this, this fucking song. (laughs) Yeah. Someone do it and send it to us. So I think we are in agreement on West Side Story. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. So moving on to Best Director of a Play, we have Matthew Warches for Christmas Carol, Stephen Daldry for The Inheritance, Carrie Cracknell for Seawall Life, and Robert O'Hara for Slave Play.
0: The exact four that you picked were the exact four that I picked. I was like, these are basically just our four favorite plays of the season. So. Yeah. <laughs> Direction is always hard to to quantify, I guess. Cause it's like how much of it is a director, how much of it is the actor? Like technically the director tells the actors sort of like feeling they're going for but still a lot of it is still like the actor's capability.
1: We would say that like a musical has good direction if you feel it like moving. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's why I really liked Inheritance because for a seven-hour play it just didn't feel like seven hours at all. Yeah. It was like so fluid and always like pushing forward.
0: I, I do think there's also something to be said about directing that big of a cast because. You have so many, like, essentially moving
1: pieces. Shout out to Sea Wall Life. I just feel like both of the actors, um, both of the actors, like, fill the stage so well. I would still go with Inheritance, personally. Yeah,
0: it's crazy because we were, like, honestly stalling for so long. Like, oh, we don't want to sit through three and a half hours of this play, and that's only part one and then when we saw it i was like almost hoping it would just go on longer i was like yeah let's keep it going
1: and that's a feeling that's a feeling that i feel less and less the more shows i see like when i first saw lay mis i wanted to keep going when i first saw kinky boots i wanted to keep going when i first saw like dream girls i wanted to keep going and i feel like as i saw more shows and developed like more of a taste i got that feeling less and less so like this was just so refreshing. So um next category best director of the musical. Um we have Marianne Elliott for Company, Sammy Canold for Evita, Diane Paulus for Jagged Little Pill, Alex Timbers for Moulin Rouge, Will Davis for Roadshow, and Ivan iva Hove for West Side Story. This was
0: actually a tougher category than
1: I agree.
0: I had expected when it comes to revivals, the three that I would highlight or Company, Evita, and West Side Story because they all did something to like change what had come before them, and that is all the director. But like Company, obviously it was gender swapped. It was like modern Evita also has a little bit of that same idea where it's like, what if there are two Avas and like there is a young one and an older one, and that way you can really see like what she had to do to like get to where she is. You know, West Side Story we've talked a lot about you can listen to that episode but yeah i mean like that's also a complete restructuring of this classic stories so it's like these directors turning around stories and like recreating them with a different vision and different um objective and then we do have um diane Paulus with jaggy little pill and alex timbers with milan rouge creating completely new content they're starting from scratch so it's like hard to compare them i guess
1: company definitely pulls ahead because the gender swap isn't just like a cool thing like it fits our current era it's like just like the perfect last puzzle piece into the show kind of yeah and like both with jaggy
0: little pill and moulin rouge like they have huge ensembles there's a lot for them to just do with the ensemble and Jagged little pill does kind of a thing where they the ensemble is almost greek course but not quite and moulin rouge the ensemble is just everywhere like they all have distinct characters in the ensemble I mean Alex Timbers also did Beetlejuice and it is his kind of like let's go all out like let's make this the biggest thing anyone's seen kind of extravagance but yeah I mean I would probably go with company for this just because of how well that sort of reimagining works it's like like you said it's not just let's just take the main character and like make her a female now it's really investigating the material with like what does it mean for this to now be a female character
1: yeah i really agree i would definitely go with company too Featured actor in a play, we nominated DeShiel Eves for Bob Cratchit, Paul Hilton for Morgan slash Walter Poole in The Inheritance, Tony Goldwyn for Henry Cox in The Inheritance, and Paul Alexander Nolan for Jim in *Slave Play.
0: And um, Tony Goldwyn is a replacement for Henry Wilcox because the original actor was part of the production for um Plaza Suite my like gut
1: reaction is to go with
0: Paul Hilton mm-hmm. I think if I were forced to like choose in 3 seconds I would probably pick Paul Alexander Nolan um because you know for a lot of this show a lot of slave play he is at his core like a loving husband but then he does like have this opportunity to let loose and really let that sort of, like, rage almost flow through him and, like, become kind of a different person as a character. I do think of the two inheritance people, Paul Hilton does a little bit more with um, his character. Like, Walter becomes kind of a father figure almost to Eric. Um, And then Morgan is also, like, he seems... Again, kind of like that same father figure as like the narrator is coming up with the story, but then he also has this sort of devolution into like, well, why didn't you write
1: more about like
0: like gay novels and like because he is the personification of E. M. Forster.
1: Henry Wilcox is a very, very like interesting, well crafted character that poses a challenge to your idea, yeah. of a modern day gay man, but yeah.
0: I would go with Paul Hogan. We can split on that. I'd say they're yeah. pretty close.
1: Okay. And then best featured actor in a musical. Oh,
0: this like was a category. hard category.
1: This was a good category. Not like painfully hard, like best featured actress in a musical, but like a well-rounded category. Yeah. Um, so, so we nominated Matt Doyle as Jamie in Company um antonio cipriano as phoenix in jagged little pill brian Knowles as chiron and others in the lightning thief christian borrell as Orrin and others in little shop of horror kingsley legs as audrey Two in little shop of horrors and darony e. jones as rip in west side story i'm so fucking torn my top choices I'm definitely split between Matt Doyle and his incredible performance of not getting married today, Yeah. and um, Christian Borle because he plays fuck all everything in Little Shop of Horrors. I agree,
0: and Ryan Knowles does kind of a similar thing to Christian Borle, where he plays a lot of different characters, and he does it really well because he is able to give each character a very different take. Like he plays Chiron, who's like the mentor, but then he also plays Hades. And he also plays Poseidon, who's like this chill surfer dude. I do think Christian Borle does a little more with it. I guess because he has more to do, because Orin is like a more major character. I really liked Darren E. Jones' riff as well. Um, When I first saw it in previews, I saw it with Ben Cook as riff. And he, I think, injured his shoulder and got replaced midway through previews with Darren E. Jones. And I think Darren e. Jones was a little more interesting as Riff partially because he just brings this extra intensity to Riff and he just has this like magnetic sort of stage presence that I don't think Ben Cook did. I literally wrote down Darren e. Jones as like someone to watch out for even when he wasn't Riff, like when I saw it the first time. But yeah, like you said, Matt Doyle's performance of Getting Married Today was like It might as well have stopped the show. Already a difficult song. and has been covered by so many people. And just like watching his sort of
1: like progression through his mental breakdown. Christian Burrell does so much in Little Shop of Horrors. But I actually like him as the dentist is not the best part of him in the show for me. (laughs) It's just the gas is great. But I enjoy seeing him in his like quick changes for the ensemble members a lot more. Which is, like, awesome, but I feel like I just can't um, pick him for a featured actor if, like... Because, like, if I were just pitting his performance as the dentist against Matt Doyle, I would definitely pick Matt Doyle. Yeah. And so...
0: I think Christian Borle, again, was, like, the best part of the show, and does a really great job and he he's like obviously having a lot of fun with his characters but i don't think his performance has like stayed with me as much as matt doyle's performance as jamie has it's just like i want to see that performance again i want to see him do it again um like company is probably going to be like one of the first things i see again once broadway opens if i could pick one song out of company to see again it would probably be getting married today
1: yeah, that's what I mean. It's the male equivalent and you ought to know. And yeah. um, it's not even just that it's not even just that it's fast. Like the acting is great. He has such a good command of the audience. Like he breaks the fourth wall a little bit when he's like, but don't tell Paul and then like, it's staged well. Like he's just like I mean the set and everything was obviously amazing, but like Matt Dole just plays off all of that so well and everyone's so engaged. Yeah. We're
0: on Best Featured Actress now. This was a a little bit of a weird category because a lot of the determinations haven't been announced. For a featured actress in a play, we didn't really have as many nominees. So the only ones that we really chose were um, Lois Smith as Margaret in The Inheritance and Annie McNamara as Alana in Slave Play. Lois Smith appears for about five minutes in the total seven hours of The Inheritance. But she has a great five minutes. Like, she just has, like, a three-minute monologue and, like, two other minutes that she's just around. But, like, her monologue is, like, top-notch. Alana in Slave Play is, we talked about Chris Sullivan as this, like, black guy who almost doesn't realize he's black in our Slave Play episode of plays. Um, and he ends up in this relationship with Alana. Um, Annie McNamara plays this character of Alana really well as this kind of, like, Well-meaning but not great, but she plays that really well. Like a little bit neurotic and trying a little too hard. I guess all the plays we saw were just very male-focused.
1: Yeah, The Minutes is all male except for Jesse Mueller. Inheritance is pretty much all male. Christmas Carol, it's like Bob Cratchit, Scrooge, and Tiny Tim. (laughs) Yeah,
0: so we're gonna we're gonna I guess abstain in this category and move on to the musicals, which we care
1: about more. This category means everything to me. It seems to mean everything to me every year. Like last year, my one person was just Amber Gray. I was like, <laughs> I love Town. I don't even care if Town doesn't win Best Musical as long as Amber Gray wins Featured Actress. And then she didn't.
0: In musicals, both leading and featured actresses, I had a pretty tough time with. And we like a little bit cheated with this category because we have five nominees. Like we both chose all five. But like I mean the Tony's out an extra nominee if they tie. But we have Patty Lapone as Joanne and Company, Judy Kay as Queen Elizabeth and Barbara Cartland in Diana, Lauren Patton as Joe in Jagged Little Pill, Samantha Polly as Catherine Howard in Six, and Yasenia Ayala as Anita in West
1: Side Story. They were all just really great. I mean Anita classic standout. Queen Elizabeth slash Barbara Cartland like How amazing that you can play such two different characters really fucking well. Um, I know, like the standard person to pull ahead would be Patty Lupone, and like as much as I respect her, it's not enough for me because Samantha Pauly and Lauren Patton are amazing. We
0: mentioned we saw Jaggy Little Pill twice. And at first I thought it was like, oh, I mean, like she just thinks you ought to know really well. Like, that's about it. Like, is that enough for her to be really a front runner in the featured actress race? But then, like, once I started paying more attention to her, like she is really interesting as an actress and as a character in all of her other scenes as Joe as well.
1: You ought to know, I think, is the only mid-act, unanimous standing ovation that I've seen for, like, a relatively unknown actor ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, like we talked about how, like, everyone stand- stood up when um, Hello Dolly showed up, and it's like, yeah, but, like, that's... Fed Midler, yeah. Meanwhile, like, Samantha Polly, I think, has more of, like, a classically good voice, like, Warren Patton's voice is really unique, which is definitely, like, my kind of thing because, like, Amber Gray. Um, but <laughs> Samantha Polly has just, like, a good voice like she sings the highest note in the sixth harmony all you want to do was my favorite song and i feel like watching her perform that solidified it yeah. even more she's a good actor she did a great take on the song and like it's a hard song to sing because like I sing in the shower all the time. <laughs> I've seen her like other YouTube shit and she's just such she's such a good voice. Yeah. And everything she does is effortless. Like her her high notes are super effortless. Her dancing is very effortless. Yeah,
0: I'm a I'm a huge fan of Samantha Pauly now and Like, the thing is, even though she has this, like, classic good voice, like you mentioned, she can basically sing anything. And I don't know, like, what all you want to do was like in the West End, but it was pretty significantly different than what I had imagined it being from just the cast recording. So I don't know, like, how much of it is, like, her adding layers to it and how much of it is, like, just the stage version adding layers to it. But I was, like, really surprised by how much more there was to the song. And so I think she did, like, a really great job with, like, making you feel for her to the point where, like, when I saw that, I was like, "We can, we might as well just end the show now. Like, I don't really need the rest of the show anymore."
1: I mean, with all that said, though, my pick for best Featured actress is still Lauren Patton.
0: I'm a little more torn, and I think I am a little biased just because I do know more about Samantha Polly, and I like do watch her Instagram videos. Like Samantha Polly really takes a song and like like does more with it than what you expect, and like I guess with Lauren Patton, like, she does do that, but, like, everyone kind of expects You ought to Know to be a big song because it is, like, the most famous song. You just don't expect it to be that big. I mean, I guess, like, Lauren Patton, but, like, heavy, heavy props to, to Samantha Polly
1: To stand out as both of our favorite queens out of everyone in six, I think is pretty impressive. Yeah, Lauren Patton is just, like, it's a performance that I would see over and over and over and over again. And, like... I would cry if you ought to know, or the actual Tony's performance. <laughs> I wish nothing but the
0: best for you both. The perfect version of me, is he perverted like me? Would he
1: go down on you in a theater? So he speaks eloquently, and you can have his baby. I'm sure you'd make a really excellent mother.
0: Best leading actress in the play. This is, again, we apparently did not see plays that had a lot of females in them. So our two nominees were um, Wakina Kalukongo for Kanisha in Slave Play. And Mary Louise Parker for Bella in The Sound Inside.
1: and I you mean, know, to round out our category, we only had two other, like, possibilities. Right. Which is Zoe Ashton as Em in Betrayal and Audra McDonald as Frankie and Frankie and John. We didn't even highlight those because I guess that's how little we care. They were
0: good, but I think they were, like, a little bit hindered by the material because we just did not like either of those plays. So... Mm-hmm. Like, and I didn't even really like sound inside that much. But I think Mary Louise Parker did a really interesting and engaging performance. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, definitely my pick is um, for Slave Play. Because Wakina Kalukongo, like, she has the largest arc in Slave Play. She does the most things. She has, like, I mean, she's the only person who is considered a leading actor in either actor or actress categories. So, and she does it really well.
1: She has a difficult role. Like her characters, like she starts off as playing like a submissive, but loudmouthed slave. And then immediately jumps into a sex scene and then talks about, Racism for the next hour, and like, I think it's a very difficult and, and she also
0: has a great sense of comedic timing, she does everything
1: in this play, really. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's, that's yeah. the only I mean, like performance I remember, so
0: yeah, that's the one. But for for harder category, um, best leading actress in a musical, and this was also a little wild. But we have Katrina Lank as Bobby in Company, Celia Pfeiffer as Ava Perone in Evita. Elizabeth Stanley as Mary Jane in Jagged Little Pill. Karen Olivo as Satine in Moulin Rouge. And Taylor Iman Jones as Pat in Scotland, PA. Mm -hmm. Um, This was real tough. I mean, like, I think the nominees were solid. Like, I don't have any, like, regrets, I guess, in nominees. But, like, as far as picking
1: a best actress, yeah. I mean, I can break it down. Taylor Eamon Jones was the only good part of Head Over Heels, and I think that she's, like, such a rising star. And I liked her performance in Scotland, PA. um, So that's why I nominated her. She had the 11 o'clock number, and that was the best number in the whole show. (laughs) Yeah, I'm still waiting for an album for that, to be honest. Um, I feel like I deserve one. (laughs) Karen Olivo does so much in Moulin Rouge. She carries the show. She's a leading actress that's on stage for, like, 70% Seventy percent of the show, if not more, and for like almost all of that she's like torquing and heels. <laughs> so like just like like just like you have to nominate her just for how much work she puts in. Celia Pfeiffer for me is Fantastic. Evita is like a notoriously difficult role to play, and um, like the two recordings I listen to are just the concept album and then obviously Patty LaPone. And um, in the concept album, I don't actually know who the actress is. Julie Cummington. Okay, I love her voice because it's like really soft and rounded. It's so different from Patty. Yeah, it's a little like it's like it's smooth and a little more like pop songy than. Um, you typically expect like theater voices to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And I like it a lot, but you can clearly tell that she's not as solid on the high notes as Patty is. And I feel like Celia Pfeiffer is like the best of both worlds for me. Um, She was just fantastic. And like, I would love to get a recording of that as well. Mm -hmm. And then finally Katrina Lank, I mean, like she's an amazing person. All of her solos as Bobby, like, Marry Me a Little, Being Alive, Someone Is Waiting, are all so, like, well done from an emotional standpoint. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think, like, we talked about this in the West Side Story episode, but how Isaac Powell really, like, sort of breaks down the song Maria. He really like breaks down what like the character of Tony must be thinking as he's singing Maria. Mm-hmm. I think Katrina like does with Bobby.
1: They both feel like they're like marinating on every syllable. Yeah. <laughs> I would pick Celia Pfeiffer because like if if you can hold a performance that makes me want to listen to you more than Patty Lapone, you definitely deserve an award for <laughs> it. I agree. I
0: think that is ultimately what I would go for. Um, I really hope a cast recording of The New Company comes out because it really doesn't seem like One for Evita will come out. But I would love to have between mm-hmm. like Katrina Link and um, Matt Doyle alone. I would love to just have like recorded versions of those songs. Oh, yeah.
1: What's Aaliyah Spifer's history? Like, what has she done before she thinks? She's like a rising star.
0: Literally in the past year, she's done Evita. And then, like, directly after Evita, she went and did Leiden's Piazza, which is like a classic soprano role that, like, Kelly O'Hara originated and then before Evita, she did Almost Famous, which is based off a movie, but like kind of a, um, basically a band of groupies on a tour bus, I think is what it is. She literally hasn't even made her Broadway debut yet. The first time I had heard of her, I saw her as Eliza on the Hamilton tour. I also saw her last year at City Center as well, doing Songs for a New World. And she was also glorious in that. So let's
1: move on to being um, actors. Yeah. <laughs> Um, in the category of best leading actor in a play, we nominated Samuel H. Levin as Adam Leo in The Inheritance, Kyle Soller as Eric Glass in the Inheritance, Tom Sturridge as Alex in Seawall, and Jake Gyllenhaal's Abe in A Life. So basically, just a Seawall, A Life, Inheritance. <laughs> <Yeah. one. laughs> we were also unanimous on this. When you sent me that, because it was like so perfectly punctualized that it felt like you were making like a really reluctant statement. You're like, I... Two were gone Toby Darling in favor of the two seawall life dudes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I
0: mean, I think the issue there is like Andrew Burnap as Toby Darling is also incredible, but Toby doesn't have a lot to do until like the second act of three acts in part two of The Inheritance.
1: Yeah, Toby is just such a ho. Yeah,
0: he's not a good guy either. Like, you don't really feel sorry for him until the second act of part two of The Inheritance. And even then, it's like, you feel sorry for a second, then you move on because there's a lot more other people to feel sorry for.
1: Yeah, so, like, major spoiler, I guess, if you don't want to hear this, just jump, like, 30 seconds forward. Toby died from a suicidal car crash. The way that the storyline was going, I first thought that he was going to die from AIDS and then I thought that he was going to die from an overdose because he went like drug crazy in the Hamptons honestly would it went from AIDS to overdose I was like that's an improvement you don't suffer and then when he died from a suicide I was like even better this is great the best ending Toby could have possibly gotten I didn't mean that like suicide is a great way to die but it's great for the character compared to like a coke overdose
0: but yeah so like adam and leo are super different characters and there's this whole scene that samuel h levin plays where literally adam and leo meet for like three minutes but he has to play both characters adam also has this really sort of deep monologue about you know the possibility of getting aids and like the kind of dangers that come with being gay and having sex with just random people whereas leo just has a lot more i guess depth to his character itself but then eric Mm -hmm. glass like is the driving force of the inheritance he is like Mm
1: -hmm. probably
0: undisputably the main character of the show and Mm -hmm. like it's his story that the
1: show follows to be totally honest like this category we love it but tom stash and jake june hall are pretty much crossed out for me if we're talking top two um yeah. like the inheritance actors just do so much like again it's a seven and a, it's a seven hour play and like both um samuel Lennon and kyle soller are like very present during the entire show Yeah. also like just to be clear like mm-hmm. i i would honestly go with eric glass i think as the show progresses he becomes like such an interesting character and i think he's also like really like an english teacher's wet dream of a of a study (laughs) um ultimately like neither of those characters spoke to me that much like when adam was talking about his AIDS scare it was like well yeah you're a rich boy that traveled to europe for fun and fucked like 20 guys in a bathroom stall so like i'm sorry yeah (laughs) i agree um, and then leo is like just a really shy hooker for pretty much the entire show. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, like Eric is just like consistently doing so much. And as a character that's supposed to like be the focal point of all the other characters, because he's the reason that like all the other characters know each other. I think he plays that really well. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I think I agree. And I feel like Eric glass is really what takes you through the story. And Mm -hmm. to have like one person kind of be responsible for the entire seven-hour play I think is like a large burden and I think Kyle Solar does that really well in just Mm -hmm. being able to carry that and to like not make himself boring because Eric Glass is a little bit of a boring character like he like doesn't really know what he wants to do he like has morals but for a lot of the play isn't really strong enough to act on them And he's, like, not super interesting, but, like, Kyle Solar still makes him really engaging and really,
1: like, you still root for him. He's very, very relatable, but then, like, everyone around him adores him. And you can definitely see it, too. And it's not like they're trying too hard. Yeah. Um, I really love that about him. I agree. Love Inheritance. And then Best Leading Actor in a Musical. This is a great category as well. Yeah. Um, We got Jonathan Groff as Seymour in Little Shop of Horrors. Aaron Tveit as Christian and Moulin Rouge, Brandon Yeranowitz as Addison Meisner in Roadshow, Raul Suarez as Wilson Meisner in Roadshow, and Conrad um, Rickamora as Jixing in Soft Power, and Isaac Powell as Tony in West Side Story. This was <sighs> really tough. It really was. I in my nominations, I
0: did not pick Jonathan Groff and Aaron Tveit just because. I feel like they were both playing kind of basic bitch characters in Mm -hmm. that they're like very, and we, we talked about this a little in the Moulin Rouge episode, but they're both very like typical leading man. They sing it well. They act it well. There was nothing about either their performances, I think. That really set them apart, like not like Karen Olivo as Satine. I feel like she really took that character to a different level, and I don't think Aaron Tveit really did that. The same with Jonathan Groff; he was a great yeah. Seymour, which I don't think he did anything with it. The two that you'd not also pick were Brandon Uranowitz and Conrad Ricamora.
1: So Seymour, I don't even think has a great like. I don't even think like that vocal range fits Jonathan Groff that much. Um, the reason why I went with Groff and Aaron Tavett is because, well, I really don't have feelings towards soft power. And then, as far as like just playing your basic bitch lead actor, I kind of felt that way about Brendan Ranowitz in show mm-hmm. as well. Like, I think he was a lot duller in comparison to Ross Pariser, partly because, like, Willie really, Meisner is a much more interesting character. But like Brandon Uranowitz plays like your classic protagonist, you know, just right. like shy, soft spoken, and love, whatever the fuck, and it's like kind of the same shit to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and since he kind of like splits the stage more with Ross Barza. I mean, I, I
0: think I mostly agree, but I would say like Ro gets like more interesting Like, Willie Meisner is just the more interesting character, and I think Raul does really well with that. Like, he's very charismatic. I could see how people would be tricked into his schemes. He has a whole song about losing money, but then everyone loves him, even though they lost money by working with him. And I could definitely see that just from, like, how charismatic Raul Esparza is on stage. But I do think, like, Brandon Urenowitz is kind of the Eric Glass of Roadshow, where he is a little bit more the main character than Wilson Meisner is. He has the opening number. He has more of like, I guess a character development arc where at first he's kind of a square where he's like, I don't want to do this. And like, and then he has the whole um, Addie's trip where he talks about like visiting a lot of different places and you kind of see his passion grow for like all the different places he's visited and for architecture and like what makes him into the person he is by the end of the show. So I think it's a little mm-hmm. more subtle of a performance, but I do think Brandon Uranowitz like, plays into that performance. But I I do like Raul Sparza's performance more, just because also he has like better material, I guess. And like, if I wanted to hang out with either of the Meisner brothers, it would be Willie Meisner that I would choose to hang out with.
1: <laughs> Raul Sparza is... Honestly, I think my pick for this category, even though mm. Isaac Powell is hot as hell, and we said that like his performance of Maria is like revolutionary, um, he just he's not a leading actor to me. He just yeah. doesn't have the voice of one, even though like he has a solo that's well done. A lot of his singing is still weaker, um, and Ross Perot plays. Such a magnetic character. And I'm sure it's like partly because Wilson Reisner was written this way, but he does like an amazing job. And again, it's like kind of like, I don't know, maybe Avita or like just other characters who are about where like this. It sucks, but I love him.
0: <laughs> yeah, I see that. Just to talk about Conrad Ricamora for a hot sec. In a lot of the other awards that have happened, um, Francis Ju got, I feel like, more of the attention for Soft Power. But I think Conrad Ricamora does a lot as like a leading man in Soft Power because the story is more built around him, I think. And he has to carry more of the show. And he does it really well because... Soft power is kind of this like wild ass story that like shouldn't work, but kind of does, but maybe doesn't completely work about this Chinese businessman played by Conrad Ricamora falling in love with Hillary Clinton. And I think he sells it better than he should. But I mean, my two picks were probably down between Isaac Powell and Raul Esparza. And I think Raul Esparza just has that charisma that is like inherent and not necessarily something you can replicate. But I think Isaac Powell does a bit more with Tony. This feels like I'm sort of minimizing Raul Esparza as an actor, which I don't want to do, but I feel like Raul Esparza doesn't have to try as much with Willie Meisner as Isaac Powell does for Tony, I think, which is why I think I'd pick
1: Isaac Powell. I can see that. I would- love the fact that my picks for actor and actress uh leading actor and actress in a musical were both from city center yeah
0: this year. <laughs> i should
1: donate to them because they've done yeah.
0: great shit
1: <laughs> i know i love it um yeah really strong category Thing that really matters is
0: the game
1: It's more than just the
0: winning, it's the game That moment when that card is turned and nothing is the same The only thing that matters is the game So, best book of a musical We have Keith Harrison and Laura Sheen for Emoji Land, Diablo Cody for Jagged Little Pill John Weidman for Roadshow, Michael Mitnick for Scotland PA, and David Henry Huang for Soft SoftBauer. And we did include Rojo in this category just because judging from the previous recordings of Roadshow, it seems to have changed a lot. And also, it's like a fairly new book to us. And I feel like a lot of people probably haven't seen it off-Broadway, so we're just counting it as like a new book rather than...
1: yeah roadshow great book but there's no way i could go for anything besides jagged little pill in this category because we've said this over and over but there has never been a jukebox musical that has done a better book and music integration ever yeah um because like i mean like we always say that our favorite jukebox is jersey boys but like that's a biopic you know and like this one um like i know like like after the show we were we were like, we don't know which um, two songs out of the track list are ones that were written specifically for this show, because we knew there were two. And you told me and like, I still don't remember because <laughs> every single song fits into the story so well, that like, without knowing Lil Nas I would never have expected to, to be a jukebox musical. Yeah. And they don't just like fit well with the book they fit well with the character they're staged well and just like the entire show is in such harmony and I feel like it really starts with this like solid foundation yeah. of a book that works so well with Lana's Marzette's music and it's even more impressive that like most of the songs are from one album and it's like damn like does she have like a character arc in mine, yeah. when she did this yeah, several it's decades like ago? Not even a concept album.
0: Like Beyonce with lemonade. It's like a concept album where she had like a through line. But I don't think Lonis Morsa did that with Jagged Little Pill. It just works. Yeah. Um yeah, I think my pick would also be Jagged Little Pill. I do think Emojiland had a surprising amount of depth considering that it's about emojis. Emojiland did a really good job of like combining these different emojis and like creating one coherent story that's also sort of relevant to our world and like still very like moving. And like we said, Roadshow, it's like Willie Meisner, first of all, is a character that we shouldn't like, but we do. And after we both saw the show, I was like, I literally don't know why I like this. Just like the story between these two brothers, it's mostly the character work, I think. A lot of that comes from the book anyway, even though there's not like a conflict and resolution. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Soft Power is frankly still a hot mess. But what they're doing Mm -hmm. with it and what they're trying to accomplish, I think a lot of that comes down to the book and comes down to David Henry Huang's vision for Soft Power in... Making this like inverted king and I, where instead of a white woman going to Thailand to like basically instruct the king on like how to make his own country better, it's a Chinese man going to America to instruct Hillary Clinton on how they can improve the country. And I think that reversal was really interesting to see. but yeah, like my pick would be jagged little pill as well. Mm-hmm. And so for best score, we kept it to just scores of musicals because a lot of the plays we did see did have original scores, but I don't think any of them really had a substantial original score. So of the musicals, we have Keith Harrison and Laura Sheen for Emojiland, Rob Rokicki for Lightning Thief, Adam Guan for Scotland PA, Toby Marlowe and Lucy Moss for Six, and Janine Tussori and David Henry Huang for Soft Power.
1: Yeah. I was dying for an emoji land recording after seeing it, and now it is out. And I fucking paid for Amazon Music on top of my Apple Music <laughs> to listen to it. But its lyrics seem like too elementary to actually be on Broadway. There's very cheap, repetitive rhymes, and even though while seeing the show, I liked it a lot and it worked well with the story, mm-hmm. I think ultimately it lacks a little.
0: I think that's fair. Yeah. You're generally like lyrics first, and I'm generally melody first. And I really like just the sound of the Emojiland score. And mm-hmm. I had seen it before at Nymph, and I really liked it. But now mm-hmm. having a recording, I think I would agree with you. I do think that one line about like, it's a party all y'all at the firewall ball still cracks me up. <laughs> it's just so funny.
1: It like a choir all it's a firewall
0: ball. I mean, again, it is off-Broadway, so I don't know what the future of it was. So it could be possible they, like, rework it a bit and then try to make a play for Broadway. But, like, who really knows? I mm-hmm. really loved the Lightning Thief cast album before I saw the show. And I have a lot of thoughts on the show, which I'll probably write a blog post about. Because it also was one of those albums that was not on Apple Music. I paid money for the Lightning Thief album. And I was obsessed with it. I thought the musicality of
1: it oh my God. was great. I should have just bought Emojiland. <laughs> I paid $10.99 for Amazon Music.
0: I had listened to like all of Lightning Thief before I saw the show. I was obsessed with it. I loved the Percy Jackson books. And to be honest, I was a little disappointed by the book when I finally saw it. I don't think it's necessarily a highlight of this category, but I did really think the Lightning Thief overall was really deserving of recognition. Kind of the same thing with Soft Power, where it's not all completely there, but the things that they do try to do, I think, landed fairly well. They had a lot of references to, like, The Music Man in Oklahoma and The King and I built into their musical DNA, and I thought that was really cool, even if some of it felt clunky. Mm -hmm. But my pick for this category would definitely go to six.
1: Yeah, so I would agree that Lightning Thief had good songs because I didn't listen to the album at all before watching it, and when I saw it, I was like, there are some good songs, but the general plot structure felt so weak to me that after seeing it, when I looked up the cast recording, I like couldn't even find the songs that i liked you
0: hadn't read the books after seeing it first act drags on super long and then the second act just like zips by and i was like wait this almost doesn't really make that much
1: sense yeah all we want is more babies yeah and then i also nominated scotland pa which like like you said the alumna clock number is awesome act two really picks up yeah and i think act two has some really good solos for both Macbeth and lady Macbeth. Mm-hmm. i wanted to commend that, right. but as like a full score, it's definitely not super strong, and I definitely agree with Six, because Six is a phenomenal show, and I can definitely like say without hesitation that um the music of the show is the best part.
0: Yeah, their lyrics are very clever, and like have a lot of really great puns, and just like turns of phrase.
1: Yeah, they wove green sleeves and do a pop song. Yeah. X y best play revival which tbh we really didn't give a fuck about i actually wrote in our document tbh none but i guess all (laughs) our
0: three were like betrayal frankie and johnny and judgment day and i felt bad that we didn't like any of them enough to make them a real nomination i was just like let me throw in two that i've scene that were good which were Woman in Black and Young Man from Atlanta which Cindy did not see but I thought those two were pretty solid revivals.
1: Yeah I remember you raving about Woman in Black. Betrayal is pretty much like the play that pulls ahead in this category for most critics um, if you want to listen to our opinions on it then um, try part two of our plays reviews which is the episode right before this one um, and I think the category that we actually truly care about is best musical revival. And I say that like with like such confidence because usually I feel bad about not giving plays a chance to shine. But play revival is a fuck off category. <laughs> yeah. so whatever. Best musical revival. We nominated Company, Evita, Little Shop of Horrors, Roadshow, and West Side Story. If it were
0: just the Tonys Broadway season, I would pick Company. But like now that Evita's there. I'm like, I would still probably pick Company, but we really liked Evita. And I mean, like, Show, like, honestly, shout out, but I don't think it quite reached the levels of Evita or Company.
1: A full Broadway revival of Roadshow would, like, kill me. <laughs> um, but yeah, it wasn't like a super polished show. So, as the best musical, I definitely wouldn't say Roadshow. Um, for me, it's still Company, it's kind of like the same reason that i said for director but it's just like it's reimagined so well absolutely nothing's wrong with it like avita i know that like there's changes but i don't think there were like risky changes Mm -hmm. and then west side story is like there were risky changes and half of it is like what the fuck (laughs) and then company is like there were risky changes but the entire show was great yeah. Um, which is pretty much like the best thing you can do with a revival. I
0: feel like if you didn't know that it was gender swapped, like this version of Company, you would have been like, wow, that was a great show. Like how ahead of its time, like talking about single woman in New York City.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't have known that it was gender swapped had I not listened to Ross Bros's version of Being Alive yeah. after watching Marriage Story.
0: So for Best Play, we had A Christmas Carol written by Jack Thorne, The Inheritance written by Matthew Lopez. Seawall, A Life, written by Simon Stevens and Nick Payne, respectively. And Slave Play, written by Jeremy O. Harris. These were all really enjoyable. I do mm-hmm. think Inheritance pulls ahead of the others.
1: I didn't actually know you were going to say that. I thought since you knew I was going to say Inheritance, you might go for Slave Play.
0: I think Slave Play is like important and important to see and important for a theater. But I think the accomplishment of of the inheritance in creating like a new version of this age epidemic for like modern people and also keeping the characters so interesting and modern is something that like should not be overlooked
1: slightly gets commended so much for being like outwardly shamelessly um like groundbreaking and that it definitely is but i feel like inheritance like taught me more without being as shocking. Yeah. Like I think like it it pushed borders probably just as much and had a lot to say without just being like here's a penis fuck yeah. you. I mean there is a penis by the way, so <laughs> <I don't... laughs> but that's not the point of it. And so much of Slave plate was like ready. You're gonna see some people fuck. Then you're gonna pe- see some people fuck some more. And then we're gonna talk about racial issues and then we're going to show you a penis and then inheritance was like subtle but just as forceful to me
0: i feel like if you think of it as sort of different teaching strategies slave play is kind of like some stuff like really shocking and surprising exposure therapy so that you'll have to think about it until you understand what it's getting at and the inheritance is like all right cool i'm gonna take your hand and lead you through this era and this group of problems that like gay people have both then and now
1: yeah and not preachy just like anecdotal and personal yeah and inheritance has some of like my favorite dialogue ever i would have never expected in like several lifetimes to want to see a seven hour play a second time (laughs) like the minute that i finished part two i was like i gotta see this again and like that's That's insane. I rarely left a theater being like, oh, yeah, I would see this again, especially for a seven-hour play. I think it's probably, like, my favorite play ever. It's not definitive for
0: me as much as it is for you. But I still think that out of these four plays that we've chosen to be nominees, like, Inheritance is probably the one that I enjoy the most and would go see the most and would, like, recommend the most. So to move on to our last category, Best Musical... We have Emojiland, Jagged Little Pill, Scotland PA, Six, and Soft Power. If you've been listening to our podcast and this episode, you probably have a solid guess as to what our favorite musical was, but I think we're both agreed on it.
1: Jagged Little Pill? Yes. <laughs> Amazing show. I, uh, I think Jagged Little Pill was... Well, it was the first show that I liked this season. When I saw Jagged Little Pill and knew that we had like company and Mrs. Doubtfire and like all of that to look forward to, I was like, is this going to be a great season? And then it wasn't.
0: Jagged Little Pill, I think it had sort of the best of everything. It had songs that were like good. I didn't love the songs, I think, as much as you did, but I think they worked really well in context, like we've mentioned again and again. It had topics that were really relevant. It does talk about like sexual assault and like inequality and stuff so that if they do become irrelevant, then that means like society's figured it out. And it ties in so many storylines so well. And it it felt mm-hmm. like we really got to know a community and like really lived in that community for a solid two and a half hours. So I think it really was just firing on all cylinders there to kind of compare it to like our other nominees Six, we've mentioned we really like the music. I think the book does tie it together fairly well, but I mean, the music is the highlight. Emojiland, like we mentioned, I think does a great job, but it is still an off-Broadway show. It does seem like less polished. My fourth pick was Soft Power, which, like I've mentioned, is super not polished, but you picked Scotland PA.
1: Yeah, I just think like reimagining Macbeth as... (laughs) A fast food empire is a really cool idea. Yeah. And like reimagining um, the Weird Sisters as like three weed hopped up hippies. <laughs> um everything just like fell into place. The book and the entire second act I think is like
0: incredible. So I was gonna ask between Jagged a little pill and company.
1: I would definitely say Jagged Little Pill. I just felt stronger. Mm-hmm about it after seeing it. Um, And also, like, I didn't really realize this because I don't know, Honest I've Music that well, but then after seeing the show, I started listening to it. I'm, like, sad that I didn't mention this when we were talking about orchestrations, but I think most of those um, choices were well-made as well, Mm -hmm. so I just think, like, overall, like, no one fucked up, (laughs) and some parts of it were outstanding, and it just made for a great show. Yeah, because I
0: would actually say between Jagged Little Pill and Company, I probably would pick Company just because I think Company spoke to me a little more than Jagged Little Pill does. Mm -hmm. I remember watching Jagged Little Pill the first time. At intermission, you were immediately like, yeah, I really like this. And I was like... I think I like this, like because for so long in Jack Little Pill, you kind of don't know where the story's going. And so I think it like confused me a little on the first watch. But, like, by the end, I was totally on board. Whereas company, maybe like company just has kind of the benefit of that because I knew the music before. I knew what it was doing. I knew what it was supposed to be. maybe that plays into it. But like just seeing company, I think, was a
1: little more it spoke to me a little more than Jack Little Pill did company to me is still more of like a lament of the single person's review (laughs) and um jaggy little pill is like a true good musical to me Mm -hmm.
0: but i did see an article that said something about like jaggy little pill is like about female rage and empowerment which i'd agree with because women have had a lot of things to be mad about and i think jaggy little pill brings a lot of them to the surface and it is nice that like you know, it has almost a, like, completely female creative team and all of that stuff to, like, really sort of understand those issues where a lot of musicals don't really deal with that. And I think, mm-hmm. like, company does deal with that. But again, like, because it is reimagined, it, like, doesn't have as much leeway to deal with those
1: issues. Oh well, not a bad selection for a Broadway season that barely started.
0: By combining Broadway and off-Broadway, like, we did... I think we saw a really good group of shows. I mean, Evita stood out, Rojo stood out, Little Shop of Horrors also stood out. And like even the plays. Yeah, Christmas you know. Carol, Inheritance, Yeah. A little Pill, Six. So yeah, now you know what our favorite shows of the year were. So if you have a case to make for one of the other shows that we did not pick, we'd definitely love to hear that. You can let us know at Bottomless Beeway on either Instagram or Twitter, or you can just email us at BottomlessBway at gmail.com, and we'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, check out our blog at BottomlessBway.home.blog, and stay tuned.